Good morning. I'd like to greet each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's good to be back here with you again this morning. I think it was April since I was here to preach, and so uh, when I looked at the schedule back then, I thought that's a long time away that I'll be coming back, and now here we are already, so time just keeps moving on. For a message this morning, you can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. The title of the message is, We Are Not Ignorant of His Devices. And this is a title that was given to me by another congregation, and I plan to preach this message tonight at Pine Lawn down in Perry County. And so they gave me that title. It's not one I came up with on my own. It's found in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 2. And that verse reads, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. This prompted me to ask the question, how or what is it that would allow Satan to get an advantage of us? And so I did some more reading. Uh, I tried to get some, I read some more verses around these verses to try to get some context. And I want to read verses, uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 1 in chapter 2. It says, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come... When I came, I should have sorrow from them whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not caused me grief, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. So that contrawise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave... Anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. And then we have that verse, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I read over those verses over and over, trying to, and I don't know that I've, uh, I've determined exactly what was going on. But it's clear to me that there was a conflict in the Corinthians church. In the Corinthian church, there was a conflict... And I believe this placed a great burden on Paul and on the church. It seems like there must have been many accusations against Paul. We can go back to to, uh, chapter 1. I'm not going to read over that, but chapter 1, Paul reassures the church that he was planning to come to visit them, and he changed his mind. He didn't come. And I believe there was too much controversy, controversy in the church, and he decided that it was better for him not to come. If you read over that, you can, 
probably come to the same conclusion. Um, many commentators believe that there was a letter that was written between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. There was a letter that was written by Paul that was uh, maybe a pretty harsh letter, severe uh, against the sin that was in the church. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I think it's important that we get the context of verse 11. Uh, we can go back. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 talks about the person that was excommunicated. I'm just going to start reading at verse 1. It says, "It is report, it is, uh, this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed. Uh, start over there. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body and present in spirit, and have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed, as so hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be having that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. I'm going to stop reading there. Uh, and those are those were fairly harsh words. The words to deliver such and one unto Satan are words that I uh, that are hard to understand. Why would you take someone that is in sin, struggling in sin, and deliver such an one to Satan? And I think we need to continue with that verse. We need to look at the last part of that verse. It says that the Spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. It is about redemption. It's not about delivering that person to Satan, but it is about cleansing the church, purifying, keeping the church pure, and turning by, by taking that person that was living in sin, taking him out of the congregation to keep the church pure, was in the end, uh, had a purifying effect on the church and was to save, to, to, um, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And I don't believe this, was, this is meant to throw someone out and forget about them. We're going to see more of that later. <clears throat> Tolerating sin will eventually contaminate the whole church. It's, it's, uh, it talks about the leaven that was, that was uh, like yeast going into bread. It goes through the whole dough. I don't uh, bake, but uh, I think that's the, the, uh, the, what the leaven was, was uh, referring to here. This, this uh, church at this point was not 
taking a stand against it. As a matter of fact, they were glorying in it. I believe maybe they were boasting their tolerance of, of this kind of uh, activity that was going on. They were puffed up, it said, and they were, rather than mourning, um, their, their glory, he says, your glorying is not good. And I had to think about it today, how much we see uh, toler tolerance being taught. We need to be tolerant. Whether it is sin or whether it's not sin, we need to be tolerant of sin. We need to, we need to tolerate uh, all the different lifestyles, even if they go against what God's word says. So tolerating sin will eventually contaminate the entire church. It, it, will, it needs to be dealt with as difficult and unpleasant as it is to deal with, with sin or to, or to, as this says, to turn someone out into the, away from the church, take them out. As difficult and unpleasant as that is, it needs to sometimes be done for the sake of the church. So, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 2 again. And I don't know if this is the same brother that it's talking about here. I don't know uh, that, we, that we read in verse 5 here. It says, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5, it says, But if any have caused grief, he that hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may, that I may not overcharge you. There seems to be... Someone here that was, there was a, I believe there was a brother that, that had sinned and was put out, because we can, we'll continue to read about that, but he says in verse 6, sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which, is, which was inflicted of many. Oh, I believe this brother had sinned, and I believe the, the church had disciplined Disciplined this brother, and I don't like I said I don't know if this is the same brother that was in verse uh, talking in First Corinthians, or if there was another ha uh, occasion that was possibly written in this other letter that they. I, I'm not. I, I didn't. We don't have that letter, so we don't know. <clears throat> Whoever this person was, that Paul uh, Paul says that he was it was inflicted of, of many which i looked that word up many in in the strongs concordance i looked a lot of these words up to try to get better a uh, little better idea of what this is talking about and the word many was basically meant that um, a majority of the church had inflicted this punishment on him had had a, the church had in other words the church agreed to do what they did the church was a majority agreed to do to uh to punish this person, whatever that punishment was, if it was taking him out of the church. So now he says sufficient to such a man is a punishment. I believe this man had repented of his sin because Paul would not have said it's sufficient if he wouldn't have, if he was still living a sinful lifestyle. I believe this man had repented and Paul says it's sufficient. That punishment was sufficient. And now he goes on to say, the church needs to forgive him. Not only do they need to forgive him, they need to comfort him. How do we do in that area? When someone sins, someone fails, and they repent, 
Are we willing to forgive them and stand by them, comfort them? Comforting the person, I believe, is expressing forgiveness to them, to him or her. This can... Then Paul goes on to explain why it's important in verse 7. It says, So contrawise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Choosing not to forgive someone or holding a grudge against someone may um, completely consume the person. Swallowing, when something is swallowed up, it's completely consumed. And so... That person may completely be consumed with excessive sorrow. In fact, it may be the very thing that pushes that person over the brink of, uh, of giving up. We need to forgive. We need to move on. We need to, uh, we need to encourage those people when there is someone that has failed because we've all been there. We've all failed. He goes on to say we're to confirm our love to him. And I just had to think of the verses in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye, love, ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciple, if ye love one another. This will be evident not only to the person that we're showing the love to, but all men will know if we can show love to a person um, and I believe, and this would be a case of that, where we need to confirm our love to that person. We need to, we need to prove that we love that person. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us are exempt from that. And so we've all needed forgiveness. We've all needed to ask God for forgiveness. We've all probably needed to ask others for forgiveness, and we need to continue to ask God for forgiveness and need to continue to ask others for forgiveness because we're still human. We're still in this flesh. Have you ever been refused forgiveness? You know, if someone refuses to forgive, um, we can't force forgiveness out of anyone. We can, we, can, we, can, can, we can forgive, but we cannot force someone to forgive us. Even if we've, if we've wronged them, we can't force them to forgive us. And that doesn't feel good. Not being forgiven, not having a verbal, I forgive you, does not feel good. And I believe that sometimes it takes up Uh, It takes some time to rebuild trust. So I believe sometimes forgiveness is the first step, and then building trust can take some time. But we need to forgive. We need to forgive. When someone asks, we need to forgive. It's, It's, I believe it's a requirement. When someone is sorry for what they've done, we need to forgive. So I believe the man had repented and the church was to now forgive him and to show their love for him. I believe that's the, the context in, this, in these verses. And that brings us to verse 11. 
says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And I believe this is a device that Satan uses in the churches, in our lives, when we, when we do not forgive or when we hold grudges against someone. Or we, I, I believe that's what he was talking about here in, this, in, this, in the context of this verse, which we're going to go into some other things, but um, Paul was specifically talking about this happening in the church and, the, and, the, and the, the need to forgive. And as I was thinking about this this, this morning on the way down here, we were listening to a song uh, by, I'm not sure who it is, it's a garment of praise, I guess. Uh, or, uh, but it was a song called Aside from Grace, and I wrote it on my hand on the way down because uh, I wanted to remember the title of it. But it was a song that I just really, it said, Aside from Grace, There is No Difference. And there's lots of other words. I, sh- I should have uh, printed the whole song out. But aside from grace, there is no difference. Between myself and anyone else out in the world, the worst sinner, aside from grace, there's no difference. Without grace, I would, have, I would, be, I would, have, uh, I would be the worst, the worst sinner. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's, it's only grace that has that has, uh, makes a difference for us when we accept Christ as our Savior. So we need to be aware of Satan's devices. We need to be on the lookout. We need to always be alert. I was thinking of some examples. You know, when we're, when we're taking a hike in a, maybe in a gorge or some gorges around here, um, and when it, there's a sign that says, caution, steep drop-off, what do we do? Do we try to see how close to the edge we can get? Or do we stop where the sign is? Because the sign is there to warn us. And we know there's a danger ahead. And someone has put that sign there to, to protect us. And so I believe that's... That's the way our lives are. We need to, those warnings, we need to take heed to the warnings that we see. Uh, another thing is rattlesnakes. Rattlesnakes have rattles on them. And I had an experience uh, this summer. We were at a, at a cabin in Clinton County, and as I was walking in the grass, it was a, it was a golf course on this, at this cabin, and this grass was short. I wasn't watching where I was going. I was just walking along, me and another a friend of mine. And as we were walking, I all of a sudden heard this rattle. And it was the first time I've heard a rattlesnake um, in the wild when I wasn't prepared for it. And I always wondered if I would recognize it. And I knew instantly that it was a rattlesnake. And I, I must have jumped uh, quite, quite a distance because I scared my friend. He said I scared him more than the snake did. But this, that snake was rattling and saying, there's, there's danger here. And I was about five feet away from a five-foot rattlesnake, and and it was uh, it was it scared me, and so that was a warning. That was a warning that don't get closer to me. And so I, I, was, I was thinking about the even nature. Even in nature, we have warning signs. There's warning signs around us that that warn us of danger. We have physical. There's physical warnings, uh, you know, um, sometimes we're driving, we'll see a, um, 
some signs or slow down, there's an accident ahead. Have you ever seen that sign? Uh, warning us that there could be traffic ahead, road work ahead. That's another sign that we see. Caution, be careful, there's, going to, there's uh, road work ahead. Maybe there's a flagger, uh, a picture of a, a person with a flagger. Uh, congested area ahead, especially if you live in Pennsylvania or in a, in a city somewhere. There's times when there's congested roads. All of these are warning signs meant to keep us from harm. And we need to pay attention. When we're driving down the road, we need to pay attention to those signs. We need to be careful. We need to always be aware of the dangers around us. And I believe that is how it is spiritually. We need to be aware of the dangers that are around us. We are in a spiritual warfare. Do you believe that this morning? I believe we're in a spiritual warfare. And we need to properly uh, be prepared to, to, um, to be, we need, Satan, Satan will use every chance he gets to, to trip us up. Um, we need to be aware of his, of his tricks. Ephesians 6, 11 to 13 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles can be translated to tricks. Schemes would be another word for that word. Be, be a, we need to be able to uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I'm going to look at some of the tricks or devices that Satan may use against us. Some of the devices that we need to be watch for. I have uh, several words here. The first one is deception. Satan uses deception. And we could we could uh, we can see that right from the very beginning when he came to Adam and Eve in the garden, he used deception to deceive to deceive Eve. Remember his his words. He said, "Hath God said? Hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden?" He was posing a question to her. Hath God said, did God really say that? And the woman said, we may eat of, of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So the word, uh, the first word, verse here, uh, in, in verse, uh, this, is, this is out of Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And so the serpent, the word subtle that is used to describe the serpent, which we now know it was Satan, that word subtle has a definition of clever. The devil came to her in a clever way. Uh, Adam and Eve had a, had a wonderful life. They were enjoying the beautiful garden, the wonderful communion with God. I believe they had 
pretty much everything they desired. And up until now, they were content. And that's another D word that I thought of, I don't have on my list, but discontentment. You know, Satan came to them and they became discontent with all the things that they had. They had just this one tree that they didn't have, that they weren't allowed to, that they were given a, 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 a warning not to eat of that tree. That's the only tree they weren't allowed to eat of. And So he comes to her with a question. Hath God said? Did God really say that? And then, and then he goes on with his deception. He says, you're not... You, surely, you won't surely die. As a matter of fact, you'll become more like God. You'll be able to know good from evil. You'll be able to decipher good from evil. Satan did not tell them that they would be cursed and that they would be um, cast out of the garden. He did not tell them that. And he doesn't tell us. He hides a lot of when we're lured into temptation and into sin. He doesn't show us the final results of that. We only see what he wants us to see. We only see the pleasure. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. And Ezekiel 18.4 says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. That is the results of sin. We know that today. So we need to we need to always be aware of the deception that Satan brings. I believe he's, uh, he still brings deception to us today in many different forms. And so, how do we keep from being deceived? Um, I believe we need, to, we need to know what God's Word says. Uh, we need to know when someone comes to us with, decept- with, a, with something that is deceptive. Uh, we need to, the way we can tell if it's... Uh, truth or if it's untruth is if it doesn't line up with God's word. Another one that that Satan uses is diversion. Uh, we can be living our lives in peace and serving God with joy and suddenly we're confronted with a temptation or a problem and I'll call that a diversion. I'm just looking for some D words. Uh, and the temptation that we can face, uh, that we that we face, can come in all different forms. Uh, some of us will never be tempted in a certain area, and but each one of us has a weakness. I believe every one of us has a weakness, and Satan will use that weakness to try to create a diversion from our walk with the Lord. Some of those things are bitterness, pride, jealousy, lust, rebellion. Spirit of unforgiveness, and there's many, many others. The world is full of evil and there's sin all around us, but we cannot allow Satan to entice us to partake of that sin. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And also in Matthew 6, 24, it says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We can't serve two masters. We will either serve one or the other. We need to decide who we're going to deserve to serve, and it's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be Satan. It's that 
That's our choices. We need to keep our eye on the prize, uh, prize which is at the end of the race. Don't allow Satan to divert your attention to the sins of the world. Um, you've all probably read the book Pilgrim's Progress, and that's an interesting book, how there was many diversions along the way um, where it looked like a shortcut or it looked like an easier path, and it, and it ended up being a trap. And that is exactly how I believe how life is. Another one that uh, Satan, another one of the, the uh, another thing we need to watch for is doubt. Just as Satan did with Eve, he, he sometimes brings, uh, places doubt in our hearts. And it's doubts that maybe even if there's a God. Um, he tries to make us doubt that the blood of Jesus Christ could cleanse us. You ever doubted that? That's a, how could the blood of Jesus Christ really wash away my sins? He, really, he may even cause us to doubt that we're a sinner. He may cause us to doubt if we really need a Savior. He tells us that God doesn't really care about each and every trial that you face. God doesn't care about those small things. Just take care of things. Uh, don't, that's just a small, a small thing. And he places doubt in our mind that, that just a small sin would keep us out of heaven. I think those are some doubts that Satan brings to us and we all know the story of of Peter when he walked on the water and he started to doubt and he started to sink I think that's a very good illustration of what what uh, we, we keep our eyes on Christ we can we're okay but when we take our eyes off of Christ then we start to sink we can have full assurance this morning that we are saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We can have full assurance of that. It is a promise. It's promised in the Bible. There's, when Jesus said the words, it is finished, he died for you and I. Uh, he died for you and I, and he died for the whole world so that we can live. That is a promise that we have, and we need to believe that. Don't ever let Satan cause you to doubt. <clears throat> Jesus provided a way for all mankind to be saved, and now it's up to us to simply accept that, that gift of salvation and believe in the risen Lord. Another word is discouragement. Uh, discouragement comes to us in a lot of different ways. We give in to temptation and we sin. We have, to, we have a choice on how we're going to respond to that fall. We're either going to... Sometimes Satan discourages to even try to, he says, you know, it's no use. Don't even try again. It's not going, you're only going to fail again. We may feel like there's no use in trying. And that is exactly where Satan wants us. He wants us to be discouraged and to give up. We have another choice, and that, that choice, another choice is to repent and to ask for forgiveness. We can get back up. And with the Holy Spirit's guidance, we can again walk faithfully with the Lord. 
What about accepting where God has placed you in this life? And again, this would be, this would uh, fall under contentment. Or just, yeah. Are we, are we content? Are we, are we uh, where, God has, where God has placed us in this life? We talked this morning about courage, and that's what we need. We need courage, and Satan brings us discouragement. That's uh, it's opposite of courage, and and God uses that discouragement, discontentment to draw us away from from trusting God. God has a plan for each one of our lives. Every one of us has a purpose in life, and. We can't look at our neighbors and our friends and and say, well, um, we can't gauge our life by our neighbors and our friends is what I'm trying to say. God has a purpose for each one of us, and it's going to take us in different areas of life. <clears throat> if we look around at the world around us, we're going to very quickly become discouraged and discontent. And the children of Israel, as we talked about this morning, um, a little bit about them going into the promised land. But, you know, they became discouraged and discontent many times. We could go back into Exodus and see how they murmured and they complained very quickly after they left. And I'm not uh, saying I would have been any different. I think if I would have been eating manna every day, I may have also become discontent with uh, eating the same food every day. Um, but God was providing for them, and they failed to see the provision that God was giving them. And we sometimes can overlook the very same thing. We fail to see how God is providing for us. One, uh, one more D word that I have is delay. And I believe this is the scariest uh, one of the devices that Satan uses. And delay is when Satan tells us that, you know, you can give your heart to Christ another day. You don't need to do it today. You've got more important things to do today. Do it another day. Do it tomorrow. You know, we have, uh, we are not guaranteed another day. We're not guaranteed another hour. We don't know what our life holds. I, I don't believe that any of those three men on that plane that crashed here the other week had any idea that was going to be their last day unless somehow God revealed it to them, but I believe it was very sudden, and they're no longer here today. We don't know when our last, our last day here on earth will be. We need to repent, and we need to ask for forgiveness now, accept Christ into our heart now. Uh, we could, I'm not going to read it, but in, in uh, Acts it talks about Felix and his wife, Jerusha. Remember his words. He said, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Well, it's a little more convenient than I'll call for you. And we don't know, I don't believe, I don't know that we read anywhere where he, again, called them back or, or uh, we don't know. I don't think where his life, uh, how his life ended. That is a trick from Satan to, to think that we're going to have a better time. There's a better time to ask for forgiveness. Hebrews 13, or Hebrews 3.15 says, While it is today, what is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Today. 
Tomorrow may be too late. How awful if any one of us needs to spend eternity in, in hell because we decided to wait one more day. And then one last thing I have is unforgiveness. This doesn't start with a D. I, look, I couldn't think of a word that starts with D, so I just put it in because I think unforgiveness is what the context of this verse was all about. Um, or if it's about forgiveness. And unforgiveness is one of Satan's devices that we need to, be, we need to watch for. Um, the Bible is very clear that we will only be forgiven as we forgive others. I believe Satan uses an unforgiving spirit to destroy many souls. Even though there are those that mistreat us. Even though there are those that falsely accuse us. Even though there are those that have abused us. If we want to be forgiven, we also need to forgive. And we need to forgive those that have hurt and offended us. And I don't believe we can call ourselves a Christian if we refuse to forgive. I just don't think it's possible. Um, We say the Lord's Prayer, we say forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we don't forgive others, neither will we be forgiven. Matthew 6 uh, goes on to say then after the Lord's Prayer, it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that's pretty clear. There's not much, uh, there's not much to figure out there. We forgive. We are forgiven as we forgive. If we refuse to forgive, neither will we forgive. And Satan can use that in a personal life. In my personal life, he can cause me to be angry at someone, and I'm I I choose to not forgive that person. And I don't know if anything that destroys a relationship with the Lord more than than an unforgiving heart. In closing, I just... uh, I'm going to read a few more verses out of Ephesians 6 there. It says, uh, I read read the uh, first part there. It says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having... On the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That gives us tools. That gives us armor that we need to protect ourselves against Satan and against his devices. We need to always be praying, I believe. Praying, praying many times uh, through the day, throughout the day. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. God hears each one of our prayers. He hears each one of your prayers. And I believe even even it talks about, at some place, uh, I didn't look this verse up, but it talks about he even hears the groanings of our heart. And God knows what those groanings of our heart are. Even if when we can't speak the words, God understands and knows. James 5.16 tells us, the effect, Effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I think that is one of the 
possibly one of the biggest weapons we have against Satan is prayer. To pray for when we're tempted, when we're tried, to pray. So let's have our eyes and let's have our ears open. Let's be watching for the enemy. Let's keep, let's be aware of Satan's devices so that he cannot get an advantage over us. You know, in a, um, just one more quick thought I had. When I was, uh, uh, it's been a bunch of years ago, I went to the Gettysburg battlefield and they talked about the significance of the little round top hill. And that was the turning point of the, of the Civil War because they had the advantage, the people that got on top of that hill had the advantage and they could, they could see what was going on and they were on top. And that, had, that was a turning point of, of the war from what I remember uh, from that. And you know, that's where we need to be. We need to be on the hill and we need to be watching. We need to have our eyes and our ears open watching for Satan and for any uh, deception and, and that he might bring to us. So let's be aware of his devices and let's not allow Satan to get an advantage over any one of us. It would be a, a terrible thing for the church and for each one of our lives. So God bless you as you continue to trust God with your life and encourage each other to continue um, walking with the Lord. Let's kneel for prayer.